Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Gridiron Blitz Podcast, your weekly source for women's American football, insights, game recaps, and NFL News Weekly. Subscribe on Apple and iHeart. Welcome to Gridiron Blitz 401. Oscar Lopez in the house. We're going to have a great show. Two hours jam-packed for you today. We're going to be talking college football with the Hall of Famer, Holly Custis, in the house. We're also going to be talking women's international news with FX Mexico. Uh, also, Gridiron West plus uh, Italy and the CIFF with Mark Simone, a.k.a. the backseat coach, in the second hour. Plus, we're going to finish up the second hour with the NFL, as always, with the salty one, Mackenzie Brooks, in the house. So really big, big two hours jam-packed. Thanks to everybody that went to and subscribed last week and downloaded over uh, our biggest download of the episode 400. I really, really appreciate it. Over 200 downloads on Apple Podcasts. So I'm totally excited and happy that you guys are listening to us every Tuesday, bringing attention to women's American football as well as all the other football that we talk about. But it was really awesome to have uh, everybody here for the Big 400. Really want to thank uh, Erica Lynn Anderson for coming in last week and Kishi Free, Troy Wilson, uh, Louise Bean, and, of course, Eric Brown, the voice of the podcast now uh, on the intro. So really, really awesome. And they have, um, you know, credit them for bringing us here to the 401. We're going to have a great show today. And, and just getting lined up for you in terms of the college football scene as well. And then we're going to dive in, like I said, to the Women's International News and Notes. Uh, don't forget to go to the hub at facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties. That is the place to be. That's where you want to go. That is the best network on the planet. That's what we've strived for and we've committed to. And obviously it is the place to be. So you get everything NFL right there, week 12 breakdown as well. And the college football week 13, which we're going to talk about here. We're also going to, you know, break down everything that's happening in the women's game in terms of uh, the Liga Elite over in Monterrey, Mexico. Uh, and don't forget, we got everything covered in terms of college football as we get down to the Heisman, as we get down to the coaching carousel. Everything that you need, it's right there from major sports outlets. So let's bring in the Hall of Famer and let's dive into this madness from uh, – you know, we didn't talk about it last week because of the the big 400, but uh, let's bring in the Hall of Famer, Holly Custis, in the house here. Holly, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Holly. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I got notices last week when we were doing this huge 400 and we had no college football, and we got messages going, hey, what happened to college football? <laughs> so uh, I guess we have to dive into college football in the first hour because everybody's intrigued about it. Um, but, you know, uh, Holly, shout out over 200 downloads on our episode last week on Apple alone. So I have no idea what the spy or the iHeart, that's going to come out probably within a week here or two. But um, what what an awesome, uh, you know, uh, news for us. Uh, we're actually getting some traction, right? And people are actually listening to us uh, weekly. So uh, we're not at Joe Rogan yet, but, hey, we're just trending. Yeah, I think that's an awesome, uh, you know, metric to track that uh, we're headed in the right direction. And, um, you know, I, I think it was a really awesome episode to have some of the former hosts on and uh, especially some of the people I hadn't really talked to before. So that was kind of cool for me. But, uh, yeah, I definitely 
enjoy that episode, and uh, we we can definitely go over college football again. <laughs> yeah, and I think that the, the excitement is just because of all this carousel coaching carousel, uh, Holly. I don't know about you, but I mean, I haven't followed the sport. Uh, you probably have more than I do, but you know, just the fact that you got what coaches and you know the season isn't even over, and we got uh, certain programs just just like the coaches are bailing and stuff like that, even Notre Dame. You know, I think this is um, a trend that we're going to continue to see. Um, I think college football, you know, I've said for a long time that for maybe, I don't know, maybe the last 30 or 40 years, it it has not been an amateur sport. It's been somewhere between a hybrid of an amateur sport and a professional sport because of how much money is actually coming in. And uh, more recently, they're starting to make changes to reflect uh, the truth of that. Um, And namely, the the changes to the transfer portal have been a huge deal. So it used to be if you were somebody that went to USC and then you're like, oh, I don't think this is working out for me, and you wanted to transfer to a school maybe like Texas, you would have to go through a process in which you would have to sit out an entire year before you would be eligible to play for Texas. That's how it used to be, but they got Mm -hmm. rid of that requirement. So now it's completely open. And what's happening is, you know, with professional sports and the NFL, uh, for example, you have free agency. And so I think the transfer portal is kind of the equivalent for college football to free agency in that if you are a big-time quarterback, for example, this is, Uh, one that happens very often because there's only one quarterback on the field at a time. Um, And you feel like, hey, I'm working really hard, but they have a guy in front of me who is like a Heisman candidate, and I just don't think I'm going to get on the field. Uh, It opens the door for you to look elsewhere. And so that's happening. Then on the other side, you have the NIL uh, that they approved uh, about a year or so ago. So now – you can earn money as a college player, so that helps because it's, it's kind of you're getting closer to what it looks like to be a professional athlete. On the other side is the coaching. And so it used to be that this time of year was pretty normal for people to uh, look for their new coach, but they usually would either wait to the end of the season or if they try to hire the coach before the end of the season, that coach would finish the season with their first team. I think what's happening now is that the it's getting so competitive <laughs> um, that, you know, people are leaving before the end of the season, which I find <clears throat> the football players is baffling because um, for those that don't know, you had Lincoln Riley, who's been at Oklahoma for the past few years, uh, had mm-hmm. a lot of success. Um, and he up and basically left in the middle of the night to go to USC, which is really – um, kind of baffling from the football aspect. Um, obviously, USC came in and backed up the truck and gave him a whole bunch of money. Um, and I, I am just assuming that maybe L.A. is a little bit more uh, comfortable for them than maybe places in Oklahoma if, if their uh, uh, family is looking to live in a place with better weather, that sort of thing. So, I get the the money, I get the location of being in L.A., but I I don't get it from a football aspect because Lincoln had had it good. (laughs) 
he didn't have to build Oklahoma. It was already built up. Everything was already there, and he kind of inherited uh, a good program and had success with it. Now he's going to USC, which, as you know, because you're uh, in California and in that area, USC has had a lot of cultural problems. <laughs> this is not an overnight USC's fix. USC's a mess, a few, Holly. Let's just say it. It's I thought, complete, I thought the it's Bruins were a mess. USC's a mess. Yeah, USC's a mess. And I think people that aren't on the West Coast and don't follow, you know, Pac-12 football, they just think, oh, Lincoln Riley's going to come in and they're going to be mm-hmm. like a top five team tomorrow. That's not realistic. Uh, as no. you know, that market is very, very fickle. And if you're not winning, the fans are not coming. And their attendance the last few games of the season was just atrocious, right? So that, that happened. Then you had uh, uh, Brian Kelly, who's uh, coaching Notre Dame, like the very—I don't even know if it was 24 hours later. It might have been like 12 hours later. Leaves Notre Dame for LSU, and that's even more of a puzzle because Notre Dame is actually in position to maybe get into the playoffs. And so you're you're like, what is happening? Because I get the, the attraction for him to go to LSU. But at the same time, why would you not finish the season? Why would you not, like, like your team is about, like, not a whole lot needs to happen for your team to be able to compete for a national championship this year. How do you think that makes your players feel when they've worked so hard for you all year and you only told them after the, the media picked it up through a text message so, you know, between those two moves, it sounds like the Oklahoma players and the Notre Dame players are just really upset. Um, I saw an article that an Oklahoma player said that uh, Lincoln Riley came in and gave, like, a speech as to, like, why he was leaving, and the players straight up called him out and said, you lied to us, and then he left. And then Brian Kelly didn't tell any of his assistants, and they were on recruiting trips. And one uh, assistant coach left the living room with a kid that he just said, come to my school. And as he's leaving the house, he finds out that wow. uh, Brian Kelly's leaving. So it's like, wow. it's like this. Like, like, in my opinion, this is how the market is going with, with this kind of um, coaching mm-hmm. position. That's understandable. I get that you want to have the best opportunity for you and for your family, and you want to take care of all that. I get it. But at the same time, there's a, there's a certain way to go about it, and these coaches are failing at that. You don't leave your players in a lurch. You don't leave your coaching staff in a lurch. You don't lie about it. And that's the thing that these guys are just – I don't know who their PR people are, but they're failing at it. And uh, so Holly, you're right. The, the money, crazy. the flow of money is, is a greed thing. If you really look at it that way, we're not, we're not going to go at a biblical sense or anything like that. But to, to your point, if you're a, a coach and it's a failing program and everything's going bad for you, I could see why you right. want to change the scenery, right? Sure. But to your point, you got you know you got a coach that's obviously doing really well. I mean, why couldn't you just said, "Hey, I'm good for that. Let's have this conversation after January, and we're going and when I'm going there, right?" Give gives right. somebody an opportunity for him to even uh, kind of like bring that into the attention of the players and the coaching staff and say, Hey, I'm just going to be up front with you. You know, as of the, at the end of the bowl games, I'm no longer going to be suited here, but I'm here for you till then. Right. But this is right, just right, right. not cool. 
No, and you know the interesting thing is, so in the NFL, um, you know, there, there's this thing. I'm not sure if it's exactly a written rule or if it's an unwritten rule, but I, I'm pretty sure it's a written rule that if you are interested in talking to a coach on a different staff, you have to wait to a certain time period for when the, you have to get right. either permission from that team uh, to talk to them or you have to wait to a certain time period. I know that there's actual procedures and protocols around it. And the, the reason for that is for, to avoid this, this exact situation. Now, so college football, you know, they're changing a whole bunch of stuff, and, and I think they're eventually going to have to implement something like that. Because you're right. Like, if you are at a team, like, let's say, um, that, you know, went 1-11 this year, <laughs> and you're not going to bowl game, like, I get it, because you have no, nothing else nothing else happening. Or even if you're, like, an intermediate team that's, like, not done terrible but not done great, I get it. But these are – okay, so Oklahoma <laughs> um, is 10-2, and two, and they just lost to Oklahoma State. They were – this close, that was a really crazy back-and-forth game to being in, uh, you know, the conference championship game and trying to back their way into the um, uh, into the playoffs. As it is, they're still going to go to a decent bowl game. Then Nordor, and, and they have a freshman quarterback who I think is really, really good, and you have a lot of talent already there. You, like, you were set up to win the next three or four years. And then Notre Dame, it's, like, even worse because you actually have a chance – to get into the playoffs, what happens if, you know, you're a player for, for that coach and all of a sudden you, you somehow backdoor into the playoffs and now you don't have your head coach? Like, that's just weird. Like, I don't know. As a player, I would be very upset if my coach that was supposed to be the one leading us in the battle just left in the middle of the night like that, <laughs> especially if you were good and had a chance to win. Like, I, I just – I don't think it's excusable, in my opinion. And you're right, though. I get the money part, but it's just crazy. Uh, from what I understand, Lincoln Riley at USC, I don't think we have the full details, but what's come out so far is that it looks like somewhere around $110 million plus they're buying his two houses in Oklahoma for over 500000 over the asking price, so that's another million there. Then they're buying him a $6 billion house in L.A. Then him and his family have unlimited access to a private jet as long as he coaches you. So I get why that's hard to pass up, but I just don't understand. Wow. (laughs) But I don't understand why you can't wait. Like, why can't you wait? Holly, Holly, this all gets out, and your your players are are literally reading this. You know what I mean? It's like – the greed part is what I'm saying. This is like total greed. It's like he oh, doesn't he, need three houses. Obviously, he doesn't need a no. private jet to begin with. Oh, my God. That just, yeah. oh. And oh. then uh, and, and that sounds, there was that's a, devastating. Uh, like you said, emotionally devastating yeah. to a program. And, and I'm, imagine what the college president, who probably was, was also not – didn't know about the change, right? Imagine how that guy right. feels after bringing you in and curling you in and giving you everything you needed to get this program back and up. You know what I mean? It's like it's literally shafting people. <laughs> it's just, and oh the other thing is, it, is it's not just the coach, right? So uh, Lincoln Riley, for example, he, he left Oklahoma in the middle of the night. He recruited a whole bunch of people to go to Oklahoma mm-hmm. for this incoming class. Now those people are decommitting, and you know where they're committing? USC. And, no you know, way. it's uh, – 
So they're moving to USC, and then on top of that, they're either decommitting completely and maybe going elsewhere, or they're coming to USC. And then the rumor is that um, he tried to get Spencer Rattler to come over, but it doesn't sound like Spencer's interested. But that's kind of a 50-50 situation where it's a lot of rumor and I haven't seen anything solid. But he's obviously just trying to take everybody and leave. And I saw a post by, uh, I think it was like USC football on their like official Twitter account. And it was basically a quote by Lincoln. And it was like, oh, we're going to be the new Mecca in college football. And one of the Oklahoma players retweeted that and said, well, you just told us the same thing last week. <laughs> so, wow. I was like, wow. Well, yeah, and I, I just feel terrible. I'm not a huge Oklahoma fan. I'm not a huge Notre Dame fan at all. But I feel terrible for these players. That's just, it's just not, it's just not cool. Yeah, I would, it would not be, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, this is total, totally an unraveling type mentality. And then, Given the changes, we're going to get to that stage where somebody's just going to go, hey, you know, I'm not, it's not worth it for me to be here anymore because I'm getting a, you know, a nice uh, UA or Nike deal now. And, uh, I, I, you know, I mean, there's, like a, there's going to be a rift between the squad and the players that are obviously not getting any endorsement. You know what I mean? There's just like things are going to unravel. We're going to start to see that as enormity, like you said. Yeah. I just think they need to put more parameters on some of their stuff. Mm-hmm. Like if you um, kind of try to emulate what the NFL does, um, whether it be written or, or how that looks, I'm not sure. Um, but I just think, like, I just I just don't think it, it's it's right to to leave your team like that. It's just not. I mean, what, what is like the new more, team the, supposed the, to The make? compass, the moral <laughs> compass. As an individual, that right there went out the door when you just said, hey, I'm yeah. good. Give me the money. I'm good. I'm out of here. I, I don't have any responsibilities anymore, right? You bought me out. Right. It's just it's just wrong. And I feel bad for those kids and, because and, all of those kids are going to yeah. be doing the same thing. At some point, they're going to just, you know, where's the commitment? I mean, you talk about football, you talk about structure, you talk about commitment, right? So this coach has ruined everything. The structure is yeah. off. Yeah, There's no commitment. Yeah. <laughs> it's just himself. Uh, I, the wrong message to send when you go into USC because literally they're a mess. Yeah. And now you're saying yeah. maybe he'll stick around if it, if it doesn't go right you don't know. or maybe he won't, right? I mean, if you think about, like, logically mm-hmm. you're sitting there, this guy's coming over from, from Oklahoma, but he bailed on them. What's going to happen when yeah. we go down south? And that's yeah. the other thing people don't understand, I think, if they're not on the West Coast, is that USC is such an, a dire place that this, mm-hmm. is a, this is somebody, they needed somebody to come in and rebuild the entire culture. And the thing that is interesting is Lincoln Riley did not do that in Oklahoma. The culture was already built. He didn't have to come that's in why, and change around saying, the Holly, losing. This, is even, this even <laughs> seems more of a black eye for him. Because if he goes in yeah. and it doesn't become successful in a year or two years, okay, then, yeah, that's exactly to your point right there. This is a knucklehead move for him. It's, it's, a, it's a huge gamble. And if, if, he, if he does well, um, then, it, it, you know, it should pay off. But it, it could go wrong in so many different directions. Um, and I just think that uh, – it would have probably been a better move to stay at Oklahoma. He would have gotten paid there. 
Um, maybe not the same yeah. clip as, as USC, but the, I don't know. Like, year in and year out, Oklahoma has been good for the last, like, 10, 15 years, especially maybe even 20 years. They have dominated their, you know, section of their conference. It's just, like, when you look back at who uh, the conference winners are and um, who's done well uh, in that area, it's Oklahoma, Oklahoma. How many Heisman candidates have they had? Like, you know what I mean? Like, they've had talent all over the place. They've one of the top four or five teams ever. For this coach, to your point, and, uh, you know, he's crossing his fingers, right? Like you said, there's an established program. I mean, where else are you going to get more notoriety in terms of college football than in Oklahoma, right? That's, that's almost like saying yeah. I'm leaving Bama for for USC, which is in the most idiotic move you could do. Well, USC historically has, you know, they're one of the cold blue blood programs, but they've been so – this is not the 2000 Pete Carroll like USC. Right, exactly. Uh, they haven't been that good in, since Pete Carroll left. They've been either, you know, mediocre to, to bad at, at, at times – and the interesting thing to me is everyone's excited because they're like, oh, he's going to bring all these recruits. And I definitely think that will happen initially because we'll bring people over from Oklahoma. However, USC, even though they've been bad at times, they actually haven't done too terribly uh, in recruiting um, during this time period because there's so much talent in the state of California that even though uh, schools like Oregon have go- gone in and taken some of that talent out, there's still a lot of excess talent that they've kept in the L.A. area. And so I, I think, okay, you're, you're going to increase your recruiting a little bit probably, but I, the thing that, um, that I've also heard a lot is that Lincoln is really good at recruiting a lot of skilled players. USC's always had good skilled players. It's never been their problem. They've always had NFL talent coming in in those spots. So you're not really getting better in that area. The places that they've really struggled with the last maybe, I don't know, 10 years, maybe 15 years or so, is on the um, offensive line and defensive line. And that he didn't do well at Oklahoma with that part. So I'm going to be very curious to see. There's going to definitely be a struggle between uh, Oregon and USC uh, in these California backyards. But I think mm-hmm. Oregon is going to do better with the offensive and defensive line. And so that's, that's going to be very interesting to watch. But I don't know. I just feel – I just felt terrible for the players because I just, I just know, like, wow, I, I think I would be very upset if that happened to me. I agree. I, mean, I think – I mean, there, you leave nothing but a, a, a situation where the feelings are okay. You, you, ba- you abandon us, but you're talking about commitment and football. And, I mean, you, just, you, you basically just stripped all that instantly for cash. Yeah. And this is literally yeah. what it looks like. Um, Holly, the final week of the of the season here, uh, unpredictable, right? Uh, we got, we saw what snowy conditions, a four time overtime game, coach ejections. Uh, I mean, at this point, you know, you go through the rankings. Cincinnati back in I think the four, uh, third slot, if I'm correct, from this one of my rankings here from my I think it's uh, Sports Illustrated or Sporting News. I'm sorry. So we got we got Georgia at uh, 12 and 0 at the top of the top of the uh, rankings and then you got Michigan of all teams we were talking about this like a couple podcasts ago with when Terry Lister was with us and uh, sorry Terry but uh, Ohio State went down fortunately Um, but uh, this is you know we're getting into the Bearcats jumping into this you know 
group of five and mixing it up here. Um, so, you know, this, this, this Bearcat program has been really, really good with uh, Ritter and, uh, you know, just keeping it going here. And so, in addition, they finished 12-0 and in the regular season for the second time in their school history since, uh, since 2009. So, and they have won yeah. 15 straight games against league opponents, 38 in a row against an, uh, unranked teams. So, I mean, if you, if you got to say Cincinnati's right. It has arrived. Yeah, uh, they just announced the most recent committee rankings like an hour or so ago. Um, so it looks like it's Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, and Cincinnati for their rankings. But Cincinnati mm-hmm. is still in that four spot. And I think what people, um, you know, obviously Cincinnati is not playing uh, as strong of a schedule as some of these other teams. But I think the fact that they've been up around this somewhere between anywhere between like three, six, seven range in the rankings basically all year shows you that they are getting respect. Um, and I think Ritter is a really good leader um, because whatever they've been in trouble, which is not very often, he seems to be the guy that's calm and, and kind of uh, writes the ship. Uh, they they do have uh, a game against um, a feisty and improved Houston team coming up. Um, but I do think, uh, you know, they're going to have to, they're going to have to win and they're going to have to win um, with as much style points as they possibly can. Um, you know, another thing is uh, Georgia is going to play Alabama in the SEC game. And right. so um, if Georgia wins, then Alabama has two losses and then they drop and everyone behind them, you know, will probably go up. But then also, uh, Oklahoma State, who is currently ranked fifth in the committee rankings, they play uh, Baylor in their championship game. And so you could conceivably, if Alabama loses, you could have um, a Georgia um, and then Michigan uh, if they beat Iowa. And then you could have a Cincinnati and Oklahoma State um, being your top four. And then Notre Dame, as we talked about, is in that sixth spot. Um, so that if, if something wonky happens with Oklahoma State, uh, you know, they could jump up and get that last spot. So there's a lot to play for, um, you know, uh, as far as like the Michigan-Ohio State game. Uh, I was, you know, talking to some friends about it before the game, and I was like, look, like, if Michigan doesn't win this game this year, I don't know when they're going to be Ohio State because, it seems like even when Michigan has been good the last few years, whenever they played Ohio State, they kind of come into the game and they kind of cower and leave with their tail between their legs sort of thing. And I think it's gotten a little bit psychological with them. Um, so I think it was a huge, 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 huge win for that program. Uh, you know, they've really been struggling uh, to try to get over that hump. Uh, and I was, I was really happy for Harbaugh because I'm, I'm a big Harbaugh person. Uh, that they finally got over that hump. And, you know, Ohio State, they are so explosive on offense. But I've said all year, they make mistakes. And if you have a team that's playing them that's good enough to exploit those mistakes, then you can beat them, right? And uh, But if you don't exploit those mistakes, then you're in trouble. I think it was Nebraska earlier this year. When I watched them play Ohio State, they should have won that game. But Nebraska couldn't get out yeah. of their own way, which is – kind of their M.O. the entire season, really. But Nebraska was out playing Ohio State most of that game, and Ohio State was making mistakes, and Nebraska couldn't take advantage. And then Ohio State finally 
got it together. So I'm not surprised that Michigan won, but I'm I'm kind of, you know, it's still a really big deal that they won. So uh, we'll see. You know, we have the conference championships coming up this uh, coming weekend, and there's a lot to play for. Uh, so it should be really fun. All right. So what do we say of Alabama then at this point? Going against Georgia, they just come off this uh, – you know, not so pretty win, if you want to talk about it, um, you know, and Bryce Young being in the Heisman Trophy race. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, Nick Sabian not like offensive, you know, I mean, it was pretty dreadful, if, if you want to put a word to it. A lot of mental errors, things just mm-hmm. didn't work like they normally work, and then they end up edging in the fourth, it went fourth overtime with a two-point conversion. So, I mean, Georgia, like I've been saying all year, Georgia is the team to beat. But Alabama here has got to be worried, I think. Yeah, you know what is interesting about Alabama? Um, I kind of equate them a little bit to Ohio State. And and I think both teams are really talented but really young in, in certain places. And when you have youth, that's when those mistakes happen. I think Bryce Young is really, really talented. Um, but I think they, you're right, they, they made, um, some mistakes in some key places. Um, they didn't run the ball particularly well. Um, you know, uh, Auburn got after the quarterback and that, uh, caused some problems. Um, and I think, you know, from what I've seen of Alabama, if you're able to get pressure on Bryce Young, then, then that's the key. Because um, those receivers are so talented that you you got to make him move from his point. Because uh, he's not a uh, um, you know a huge natural runner. Uh, he'll run if he has to, but if you get him moving, then then that helps. And I think Auburn's defense played really well. Um, you know, I watched the the overtime periods, and I know that people are kind of uh, conflicted on the new format of the overtime. Um, so basically now um, you have the first overtime period, which is the normal format from before, where each team gets a, a chance from the opposing team's 25. And then in the second overtime, it's the same format, but if you score a touchdown, you have to start in the third overtime. It's basically like penalty kicks in soccer. Each team gets one play, uh, one basically two-point conversion play, and you go until one team scores and the other team doesn't. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting because the overtimes that I uh, have seen so far this year that have gotten to that point where you're going two-point conversion versus two-point conversion, it's really very evident to me that uh, a lot of offensive coordinators don't have a thousand two-point conversion plays in their back pocket because I've seen a lot of weird trick plays (laughs) and things that you would normally wouldn't do. so I think, you know, basically from what I saw, uh, Alabama just outlasted Auburn, um, you know, and I think in the championship game it's going to be interesting because Georgia's front seven is so strong. They're going to be able to get pressure on Bryce Young, which has been Alabama's probably a weaker point. Of, and then Alabama, their running game has been a little inconsistent um, for a saving coach team. Uh, it's been up and then it's been down and then it's been up and then it's been down. So if they're not able to run the ball effectively and they get pressure on Bryce Young, that's going to create havoc. But then on the other side, you know, I think Georgia's offense, 
um, is a little up and down at times, too. They've been better the last few games. I think they've been more consistent. So um, if, for example, if Bennett is playing quarterback, if he's able to play like he did the last couple of weeks, then I think I think Georgia wins that game probably by 10, 10 or so. I agree. I think that you're on point with that. Um, do, are we going to see really uh, – I, I, do you anticipate Alabama losing this one? I mean, dominance is yes. really good on defense, Georgia. You know what I mean? Georgia is dominant. They're going to shut out. Uh, they got one of their injured players back, I think, is one of their um, key players. He was, he's coming back. So yeah. I, I don't see them going to, you know, play down. This. Uh, Alabama really needs to show up is my point. Yeah, I think in order for Alabama to win, um, they need to not turn the ball over. Uh, the red zone's been problematic at times for them this year. And then, uh, you know, uh, Mechie and uh, Williams, they're, they're two really – uh, go-to receivers, they have to have monster games. Uh, Alabama is going to have to hit the deep ball a couple of times for some explosive plays. That's how Alabama is going to win because that's their strength is their receiving core. And uh, mm-hmm. and then, you know, if they um, can get some on the running game, great. But to me, their, their strength is that receiving core. I think they're, they're really good receivers. So, um and then the other component is if they're able to make the Georgia offense a little bit more stagnant. Um, but I think in order for Alabama to win, you know, Mechie has to have like 150 yards receiving uh, and Williams has to have like 100 yards receiving. It has to be that kind of game. I agree with you. Um, so unbeaten Georgia remains number one for the fifth consecutive week. That's followed by Michigan. Alabama, Cincinnati, and Ohio State. Um, so as long as as long as the Wolverines uh, they they take care of Iowa here in the Big Ten championship, um, it, they figure they're going to play in the uh, college football semifinal at either what the Cotton Bowl or they're going to go to the Orange Bowl, right? Yeah, I think that um, you know as long as Michigan takes care of the ball. Um, you know, and, and runs the ball well, does the little things right. Because Iowa is that team the last year or two that Iowa likes to play what I like to call like a gritty game. Like they like to, to um, you know, I don't know, whenever Iowa plays, it's always like an ugly in the trenches game. It's not pretty. But for some reason it works for them, and they, they seem to win a lot doing that. So Michigan is, is going to have to win in the trenches and have really good ball control. But as long as they do that, I think they are a better team than Iowa. Um, so, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think, I think they are going to hang on and, and beat Iowa. As long as they don't turn the ball over, I think they're going to be okay. I agree with that. I, I think that's the key. Uh, the Cowboys, after a 37-33 win against Oklahoma on Saturday, they have their highest ranking uh, all season. And so if Oklahoma State defeats number nine Baylor, it might uh, leapfrog them uh, past, like, uh, Cincinnati, to your point earlier, or it will move them into the top four if uh, Alabama or Cincinnati loses. So they're still in the mix to get into the top four, um, but they're looking on the outside, right? They're very close. And I don't know if anyone watched the end of that Oklahoma-Oklahoma State game, but it was crazy. 
there was like mm-hmm. I don't even know like three or four muffed punts and blocked kicks and and fumbles and crazy scores and then o- Oklahoma uh, State was up and then Oklahoma took the lead and then Oklahoma State took it back and that was a crazy crazy game. Uh, but I do like uh, Oklahoma State. I think. Um, as long as they take uh, care of uh, Baylor and the, their conference title, I, I think that they are probably in. Um, you know, because let's say let's say Alabama does beat Georgia, um, I think the committee would have a hard time. Um, this is the one I think uh, scenario in which Cincinnati could get jumped is if uh, Alabama wins. So both Alabama and Georgia have one loss. The Michigan wins, and then you're down between Cincinnati and Oklahoma State. Was the committee jump uh, Oklahoma State over Cincinnati, considering uh, Oklahoma State's uh, win uh, against Baylor's against a higher ranked opponent? So it's not only going to matter. The spirit of Bearcat that would, fans. That would just be devastating. That would Cincinnati. be brutal. That's the Nate that's, Ward's that's, uh, that's the only... outrage and rant. We could have a neat word. I think that would be the only scenario, and if Cincinnati wins, the only scenario I can see them not being in the playoffs is if those three things happen. It could happen, but, you know, I think the the committee has um, been evident that they respect Cincinnati. So it would have to be a little bit crazy, but it, it could happen. Uh, but again, you know, most people I think would agree that we feel like Georgia is going to beat Alabama, and then that's not even going to be a question. But I just yeah. think um, Oklahoma State, you know, the last few years, uh, especially, they've been really fun to watch. And I think progressively throughout the year, they've gotten better. And that's what you look for for a team is a team that's peaking at the right time. Uh, you know, they only have one loss, a tight lost to um, uh, Iowa State by three points. Other than that, they've been progressively really consistently getting better. And I think that game against uh, Oklahoma was a big deal for their program, and they're right there. So if they don't get in this year, I don't think they should be too upset um, because they are – I think they're building a decent program there. And uh, so, you know, hats off to them. I agree with you. Um, the Buckeyes fell five spots after losing to Michigan for only the second time in, what, 17 meetings. Oklahoma fell to four spots to number 14 after falling to the Cowboys, and Texas A&M tumbled to 10 spots to number 25 after losing uh, 27-24 uh, at struggling LSU. Kentucky uh, rejoined the rankings at 23. Louisiana's ranked for the first time this season uh, at 24. So uh, the Badgers being out could eventually hurt the Irish as uh, Notre Dame is counting on its September win over Wisconsin to help its final ranking. So a lot that kind of dissects for this final, you know, stretch here to make the run. But I think the group of five is pretty much set as to your point. If, if Georgia does its job, then there will be no scenarios as we just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. I I do think, that's that's the kingpin. Um, if Alabama wins, then then it gets a bit tighter. But if if uh, Alabama loses, then it, it gets a little bit easier for them uh, to bump a couple people up. Um, but you know what's interesting is 
you know, they're still contemplating opening up the uh, amount of playoff teams that we have in the future. <clears throat> and a lot of this is going to work itself out. And so one of my predictions is, um, you know, if you look at the NFL, the championship is decided on the field where it should be, right? You can have mm-hmm. five losses in the regular season and the NFL and still win the Super Bowl, right? It's not great because you do get rewarded for a higher seed and maybe a buy even um, and home field advantage, that sort of thing. Um, but it's not the end of the world if you lose a game. And we all know that there's a little bit of luck involved in college, in college football and in all football, really. Um, the college football historically has been a beauty pageant, right? It's uh, right. They didn't really have a way to name a champion for, I don't even know, like 100 or so years. So it was just the, the AP, you know, ranking system, um, and that, you know, never went perfectly. Then they had um, the BCS era uh, with all the computers, and then they had just one uh, championship, and now we had the playoffs, and now that playoff's going to expand. And <clears throat> what's going to happen is you're not going to have to go necessarily to, you know, four or five schools to win a championship anymore. It, now, because everything is online, the exposure is there, and now you can earn money as a player. And with a playoff uh, expansion coming up, you don't have to go to an Alabama or Ohio State all the time. So what's going to happen is some of that talent is going to disperse a little bit more. And in college football, the, the recruiting is the lifeblood of everything. You know, they say it's not necessarily all X's and O's, it's Jimmy and Joe's, and that's true in college football especially. Mm-hmm. Alabama is so good. Ohio State is so good every year because of how they recruit. They bring in the talent. And so that talent starts dispersing, you're going to see a much more competitive game at the end of the year. And I think that's going to be really, really fun. Um, at least so we that's see my a Nick Saban heart attack? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Worse than it was on, <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because he he was not happy camper on Saturday on the sidelines, you could tell. No, no, very frustrated. And that's the thing. I I saw that he did a a, some sort of podcast or some sort of media appearance Mm -hmm. when he was talking about uh, fan expectations, and and I think this is valid. And and I and I see this in the NFL, and I see this in, in college. You know, fan bases we are growing more and more impatient. We want to win now. We want uh, the, you know, uh, the franchise quarterback or the, the, the guy in the future now. You know, um, it, it's not, you're not going to really see a whole lot of Joe Paterno situations or even Nick Saban situations yeah. in the future. It's, it's just so rare. And, um, you know, either coaches are being let go because they're not performing well or like we were talking about earlier, they're jumping for – uh, opportunities all over the place. <clears throat> and so I get that he was saying, like, hey, guys, <laughs> we can't – it's not realistic to win every single year, but he's been so good at it. He's almost kind of uh, a victim of his own success and that he yeah, set the bar exactly. so high that the fan base expects every year to win. And I talked to my wife about this, about my Patriots fans. And when I first met my wife, I was like, you do realize it's not normal to win every year. Because the Patriots would win, and then maybe they would lose the Super Bowl the next year, but they'd be like, oh, it's fine, we'll be in the Super Bowl the next year. 
And I'm like, no, 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 that's All right, Holly, not so normal. So Jessica just laughed at you, right? She turned around and just laughed yes. at you. I'm sorry. What planet do you come from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then now they're a little like, you know, they're doing better this year, but they had they definitely had a, a drop off. And, and so yeah, I was explaining, I'm like, you do realize that this is really hard and not normal. But so anyway, so Saban, I get what he's coming from. He was basically saying like, hey, taper your expectations. We're not going to be perfect every year, you know, to be supportive sure. sort of thing. And I and I get that, but it, I think what's happening is in general in society, we're way less patient. So it's just natural that as a fan, we're losing the you're going to be less element patient. on a tweet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we lose the human. We tweet out something very harsh, and then we don't think twice about it. What do you mean? You get oh, enough, yeah. you get paid a lot of money, buddy. You need to come in first. <laughs> no excuses, right? That's literally the attitude you know, on a on Twitter. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh you, you know, it's really funny that you mention that. I always this is my theory. You know, because obviously, you know, I I play and I coach, and but I'm also a, a fan, and so. I'll go in these groups, and there's, like, there's three types of fans I see. There is the first fan, which is, uh, you know, everything is rainbows and butterflies fan. That's what I call them, where if you say anything remotely critical, even if it's constructive criticism or you're just pointing out, like, an observation of, like, maybe we should try this, they get I don't so want to hear you. I don't want to like, hear it, right? They're like, the, the fan, oh, I don't want to hear it. Don't talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, don't talk about my team that way. And they get so, it's like they're, like, about to cry. And then you have the other oh. fans that, like, the sky is falling fan where you could be winning and doing well. And they're like, oh, we're terrible. Oh, my God. We're just we're never going to win again. And they're so emotional. And then there's, like, I me call that the nitpicker, and a small. Holly, the nitpicking person. <laughs> I get that on my RAM board. Oh, the, de- the, yeah. the defense is horrible the now. We're not going to make it. Yeah. And Stafford's going yeah. off then, the south. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like a derail mentality. Yes. So you have either the extreme positivity or extreme negativity. And in the middle, there there are fans, you know, um, like us in the middle, that, like, I feel like I'm, I'm a realist, right? Like, I'm, I'm always going to back my mm-hmm. team. I'm extremely loyal. But I'm also going to, like, have thoughtful, like, moments of, like, huh, why don't we try this? Or like, what is happening with this? And they're more like observations and like constructive criticism, but you know what I mean? Like, like in the middle, like critical thinking in the middle. And I, I always feel very frustrated because I'm like, where are the other critical thinking fans? I know we're out there. <laughs> no. Oh it's, man. It's so, it's it's so funny. On social media, depending on what platform you're yeah. in, it's horrible. People just, oh, they, they, they bring out the bad emotions. And then they have no sense no. of like how it affects you know the 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 process or the what, what would you call it the messaging, the messaging. They don't think of the messaging, yeah. but I mean I, I don't yeah. wish McVeigh any harm, but he's got to get his act right. together. You know what I mean? So I'm I guess a middle oh, yeah. kind of fan. I mean I still want my coach to do well, but like he hasn't been doing very well. Like you said, I'm I'm highly yeah. critical of his play calling now, and we're on a three game winning right. uh, losing streak. So for me, it's like, hey, buddy, come on. I mean, you you know what you need to do. Just you got to get better, right? But don't give me the podium right. excuse about how I could have played better, right? Because that gets old. Right. I mean, look look at uh, Shanahan, right? Look at Shanahan. He he said right off the bat, right? Can't control the injuries. Sorry, right? Kept losing, right. 
And all of a sudden, he's got some people back, and now he's like, hey, really good for the last three weeks. We did so great the last three weeks, right? Everything is working out now, right? That's what I want to hear from, from the coach. I don't want to hear, like, okay, every week at the podium that you should have done better or put the players – it's just not productive. And, and, and to a fans, to fans, they don't want to hear that. They want to hear, like, you know, the reasons why we didn't win. And then I don't want to just point fingers at a coach, you know. It just – it doesn't look yeah. good. Um, Holly, yeah. what about the Heisman? Does, does Bryce Young if, – if, if, if uh, Alabama loses to Georgia this, this weekend, does that bring his stock down? Yeah, you know, that's really hard. I think this year, there, I don't think there's a clear, clear favorite at this point in the season, which is not, it's kind of more on the rare side. Um, man, that's hard. I think right now uh, I'm looking at the current Heisman odds. They have uh, Bryce Young as the favorite. Then they have C.G. Stroud from Ohio State, Matt Corral mm-hmm. from Ole Miss, uh, Kenny Pickett from Pitt, Agent Hutchinson, a DM from Michigan, and Kenneth Walker from Michigan State. I don't know. That's really tough. I think my top three are, are Bryce Young, Matt Stroud, and, and Kenneth Walker from Michigan State. Um, I think that you're probably going to see, depending on – it really depends on how Bryce Young plays. I, I think you're right. I think if Bryce Young, at least, even if they lose, if he – puts up decent numbers, throws for 300 yards or so and a couple touchdowns, I think he probably edges out Stroud. But if they tank, I think then you're going to have Stroud kind of overtake that. Um, but I think um, that's going to be a tight Holly, race between Coral those two. even in the conversation? He's got yeah, I think 11 it's touchdowns, be, uh, four interceptions. I mean, he's right there in the mix with the other two. Yeah. I think um, stats-wise um, and production-wise, he's, he's right there. But Ole Miss is not uh, – hasn't been as on big of a stage consistently this year. And and part of the Heisman uh, problem is that you not only have to be a really good player, but you have to be on the right team to get exposure, right? So if you, if you think about the last 10, 15 years, when you look at uh, Heisman finalists, if you at all are starting at quarterback at Alabama, Ohio State, or, uh, maybe even Clemson, one of those teams, you're in the conversation even if you don't win it, right? It seems like we got, um, you know, not a whole lot of options sometimes. Uh, I do hope in the future they get a little bit more diverse because obviously quarterback's important, but um, I like it when non-quarterbacks win because there are there are players that I think, you know, like if you're thinking of like um, an Aaron Donald in, in the NFL that are just so dominant that they deserve that recognition too. Um, should they yeah, be by I think point Matt Corral, system, Holly, at this point? They should bring up some sort of point system. It? I think it should be the quarterback gets, you know, X amount of points for the win, X amount of points for, you know, uh, you know for touchdowns, interceptions. And then you got to, you know, have the point system equate to, you know, a defensive end, for example. You know, the tackles equate to right. something the same as a quarterback. The tackles for a loss equate. Right. You know what I mean? It's got to be some sort of a medium, to your point, where we actually get a clear picture of, okay, an offensive player and a defensive player, and then kind of figure that out yeah. and go, okay, let's look at the highlight reels and see who is more beneficial to their team, right? Who is more of an impact player? I mean, right now you got what, uh, Adian Hutchinson, 
51 tackles, right. 12 and a half sacks, um, eight quarterback hur- uh, hurries, two forced fumbles. I, I mean, sure, you want to give it to a quarterback, but my my thing is like, okay, what is the tougher route? You know, the quarterback's got 11 yeah. men in front of him. The, this guy has one, one-on-one matchups, if not double teams every game. So, I mean, what is right. the, the bigger hurdle, you know? I almost feel like they need to, I don't know, maybe because I played a lot of defense in my career, I feel like they need to have, like, an offensive Heisman, a defense Heisman, mm-hmm. and, like, an overall Heisman or something. Just because if you're a defensive player, <laughs> it's so hard. You know, imagine, like, even last year yeah. we got, like, a receiver, and that was a huge deal that it wasn't a quarterback. And I'm like, come on, there are other players that are really good out there. <laughs> and it used to be back in the day that it was more varied in positions, but it seems like, you know, the quarterback is such an important position, um, especially lately, that that's all anybody looks at is, okay, are you the quarterback for Alabama? Even, at, you know, even if Bryce Young wasn't putting up numbers, I guarantee you he would be in that conversation. It's like – Yeah, that's what we were talking <laughs> about. Like, with is the- that part of – with Coach Lister too, to your point, exactly. It's like it's a it's a bias, right? Type of mentality. Oh yes, it's a it's a popularity contest. It's yep. like if you um, if you got to know if you're a quarterback and you go and you end up starting for Ohio State, you're going to be in the conversation. So, um, you know, all you I mean, obviously you have to play well, but you're already going to be in the conversation because you're on one of the better teams. You're on one of the teams that gets a lot of exposure. People are talking about you, and that's what really matters. You know, we talked about before, uh, you know, when Christian McCaffrey was at Stanford, in my opinion, the year, uh, you know, his last year in college, he earned that Heisman. There was no question about it to me, but he didn't win it. And a lot of the East Coast people admitted that they never watched him play. And they, they didn't wow. know until we got to the NFL how good he was. And I'm like, that, there's no excuse. And that's just something that, like, I get a little irritated about with, like, these sizing things and then, like, the AP polls and stuff like that. If it's your job to to have a – you have a vote and you have an opportunity in these things, take it seriously and do your homework. Don't just, like – if you're on the East Coast, like, get it. You know, the West Coast plays late. Well, look at more than just the box score if you can't stay up. You know what I mean? Like – actually take the time and take it seriously. And that's what really annoys me sometimes is I'm like, how anybody that saw Christian McCaffrey in college knew he was going to be good. Like, there's just no question. He was so dominant. And, like, to me it was, um, like, I don't know, the only other most exciting player I've seen in college football live was Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush was, like, a video game in college. And Christian McCaffrey was not far behind that, in my opinion. So, I just I still don't get why he didn't win, but that's just me. Well, that's why we have you for the insights. Uh, that's why we had the the screaming messages to to have the talk about college football. Uh, can you believe that we went 50 minutes? It flies pretty fast. 50 minutes. Yeah. Of college football talk. Wow. So uh, has, shout out to Holly Custis here bringing the insights, giving us the thorough, and uh, getting the shout out from the fans and the demand from the fans to to talk college football. So uh, awesome job, Holly. Appreciate it. Thank you. So, Holly, um, kind of a big weekend here. So we're going to be keeping tabs on it for next week, right, because the, the Georgia-Alabama 
you know, results is going to be huge. Um, Cincinnati, hopefully they don't falter, right? That's going to be another one we got to look for. Um, so it's going to be pretty interesting to see what the group of five is going to be in terms of the shuffle for the next week in terms of the committee and what they make the, the decisions on. Um, just kind of like an interesting uh, interesting weekend coming up for college football. And if it's, you know, it's going to be big. So if you're watching it, obviously on ABC, it's going to be on ESPN, pretty much everywhere. But I'm going to be tuning into Georgia, Alabama, because I really want to see if, uh, you know, Alabama's got what it, what it takes to take Georgia down or is this Georgia defense is just going to dominate. Yeah, I mean that's that's really like uh, we talked about before. That's the the kingpin game. Like the result of that game uh, is the the king domino, and everything else falls after that, right? And um, you know, uh, let's say you know uh, that Alabama wins, and that therefore both Georgia and Alabama get into the playoffs. Then you could theoretically eventually have another Georgia Alabama matchup in just a few weeks here. Um, so I think that game is kind of like a pre-playoff level game, um, and it should be very, very exciting uh, to watch. Awesome. All right, guys, if you guys missed it, uh, over 400 episodes now on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, everybody, for downloading over 200 downloads last weekend on Apple. Really, really appreciate everybody that's listening to us. Uh, Also, our Euro groups and our Aussie groups out there, uh, Holly, that are listening to you every week. So shout out to the Euro and the Aussie crowd out there that are loyal to us every weekend. And also the Canadians and Los Mexicanos. Mexicanos, we're picking up a little bit of steam down south, especially now that we're covering uh, Liga Monterrey, Lexfa, FX Mexico, WFL, every league down there. So we're getting some traction internationally as well. Um, Still close to the 200 top podcasts in Europe. So we're still trending in that kind of time frame. Not, not penetrating anything in the U.S., of course, because they're just a, just a massive overflow of, of content there on every platform. But if you want to get your fix for college football, the NFL, and women's tackle football every week, this is the podcast to be at. This is the place to be. Um, and also at the hub, facebook.com forward slash gridiron beauties. All right, you guys, don't forget to sign up for Monkey Night Fight during the 2021 NFL season right now. You can also play NBA uh, every night. Uh, more or less is the platform that you want to use. That's the best platform that you want to take on there. It's really simple. So if you love football, you want to be in the action, $5 free play by us. Use the code NJF. It's extremely easy. Pick the players that you like to perform in a given game. Lay it out cleanly. You get to decide if a player will compile more or less in a certain category. So fantasy points, if you're inclined for that, rushing yards, receiving yards, passing yards, receptions. So when you choose a player to have either the more or less in each of those categories, all you have to do is worry about the player's performance. That's pretty much it. Get a beer, get whatever you got to do, get some popcorn. You don't need to worry about the game totals, playing against other fantasy sharks, shifting game lines, or head-to-head matchups with another player. Just pick your contest, players you like, and lock in more or less for each proposed stat line. And then you feel confident, right? Let the, let the good times roll, and uh, we're going to give you $5 free play. So head on to Monkey Knife Fight and take advantage of our offer. NJF is your code. So right, Holly? I mean, it's not that, not that hard. Just go play your $5. You can make 15 times 3, so that's $15. If you put in more than that, obviously you're going to make 3 times your money. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. These sort of games are really fun. 
<clears throat> you know, even when they um, yeah, invented, you know, fantasy football way back when, fantasy football, these sort of uh, games on, like, uh, Monkey Night Fight, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. it gives it a whole nother level when you're watching. Because if I'm watching a game that maybe I don't have, I'm not a fan of a, a particular, either of the teams involved, and it's kind of like, oh, you know, normally I wouldn't even, like, watch this game. It actually makes you more interested in other games where you're like, oh, I have a vested interest in this game because I either have my fantasy people on it or maybe I'm playing one of the games of Monkey Knife Fight, and then you start watching even more and there's more depth to it. And then even if you um, are playing some of these games when it is your team, then it is, it's even more intense because you're like, oh, well, I want my team to score, but I also want this guy to do really well because of this and this and this. So it's really fun. Yeah, and it's straightforward. That's the reason that we are promoting it. And shout out to uh, Monkey Knife Fight for, for uh, you know, supporting us on the podcast and being our sponsor. Uh, because the players that you feel have the best chance to outperform or underperform their proposed stat line in their game, and that's it. That's it. So if you get it right, you win three times your money. So if you go there, you can get a $5 free game up to a $100 match. So if you put in $100 and you guess right, you're going to make almost $300. So where else do you get an opportunity to make big money quickly on a favorite sport that you love? So NBA, NFL, head on over there. Monkey Knife Fight. Use the code NJF. All right, Holly. Awesome hour. College football breakdown. Um, you know, this, our, our fanatics were screaming for it. Uh, they missed it out last week. So uh, good thing we, we spent 60 minutes this week giving them what they want. <laughs> yeah, sounds sounds good. That was really fun. That was fun. Um, Holly, thanks again. Uh, tell your uh, your partner in crime there that uh, you know I'm a Mac Jones fan, so I got my Mac Jones groove going on on DraftKings and Fanduel. So hopefully he comes through for me this weekend. <laughs> All right, I'll go ahead and tell you that. Uh, have a good night. Okay, have a great night, Colin. Thank you again. All right, guys, that was Holly Custis, and that's uh, your breakdown for college football thoroughly. We got the Heisman Trophy race right there. She gave you the lowdown on the rankings, also broke down week 13, uh, the coaching carousel. Uh, I don't know what else to think at this point, but great job. One hour, you got everything broken down college football right here on the best podcast covering women's American football and NFL news weekly right here at The Blitz. So check it out. Uh, you can do the replays as well. Our big episode 400 last week, we had our, our former co-host in Kishi Free, Eric Brown, the voice of the intro of our podcast, uh, and Troy Wilson, uh, Louise Bean, and Eric Lynn Anderson all came in last week. So thank you, everybody, that downloaded over 200 downloads for our e- big episode 400. Thank you for everybody that send, uh, send me messages uh, for that great honor and achievement and milestone. Really, really appreciate that, you guys. Uh, also, don't forget to go to episode 399. We had Lindsay uh, D'Arcangelo right here from Hail Mary Book. And we had Steph Jackson from the NFL Flag Ambassador Program. We also had episode 397 with the uh, uh, owner of the DC Divas, Rich Daniel of the WFA. Uh, and also Olivia Griswold back in 394 of the champion Texas Elite Spartans of the WNFC. Uh, our biggest episode... So far this year, thank you to Lindsay Cash 
episode 393, over 600 downloads, and appreciate that from Lindsay Cash. Shout out to her. Uh, we also had episode 392 with Kerry Mackey of the Nevada Storm, Division Three National uh, Division Two National Champions, Division Three National Champions, back-to-back champions. Uh, episode 391, Todd Jones, Kim Phillips of the WNFC uh, Florida Avengers. We also had the talented Kelly Smith of the Alabama Fire, 390, 389, the always informative and talented and awesome Taylor Hay of the Kansas City Glory. We also have the beautiful uh, Tori Petri, uh, 388, one of our other biggest episodes that we've had so far this year. 387, Megan Lewis of the Denver Bandits. 386, Kerry Walters and Dion Lee of the Las Vegas Silver Stars. We also had another big episode, episode 383, don't miss it, Grace Cooper of the Minnesota Vixen in the house. So check it out. Plus 383, Sarah Canangelo, Chris Garza of the Nevada Storm. Uh, Coach Ray McMillan of the Derby City Champion, D3 Champion, Derby City Dynamite. We also had uh, 375, the legendary Sammy Grisafi in the house, including 374, the talented Matty Rosas and the owner of the D3 Champion, Derby City Dynamite, Thelma Banks. So what a lineup. If you want to go back, 20 episodes, check it out right there on Apple, iHeart, and Spotify. Hey, Mark, how's it going? Great. I hope you had a, a good holiday weekend, lots of football happening. And, yeah, crazy stuff happening in the college game, uh, not to mention, you know, uh, another championship in women's tackle football. And it was, a, it was a big weekend in the international news as well. I'm pretty sure everybody knows you should be at the hub, right? That is the place to be. That is the best network on the planet. That's what we built together. So uh, check it out at the hub, facebook.com forward slash Beauties. Um, so shout out there to the champions. Uh, also had the D3 champion that we forgot about, LaFay, uh, Quetzelas, uh, right there from LaFay. You get the video right there. The coach sent it to us. Uh, so shout out to the, uh, the coach over in the Division Three champion from LaFay. And so a really, really interesting weekend there uh, in terms of that. And then we also have a, a lot of results, right? Grand West in action, CIFF in Italy in action, FX Mexico in action. So a lot of things happening in terms of the sport. Um, so, Mark, thanks again for last week for the episode 400, uh, over 200 downloads on Apple. So thank you. Thank everybody that showed up, all our former co-hosts, and uh, thanks to all the fans, obviously, for uh, downloading. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it was uh, it was just an honor to, uh, uh, you know, be involved uh, during such a, a – significant milestone and it, of course it was great to hear all the former um co-hosts of the show um just like the old days so uh that was great and uh that's a lot of downloads um and there are a lot of other great shows and we talked about this all the many great interviews that um that you've done here uh, on the podcast and uh they're all there so any fans who are you know looking to uh learn more about the game and specifically the people who who make it all happen, you know, definitely dip back into the, the catalog of podcasts for some of these great interviews that uh, have been conducted um, over 400 episodes. So it's been a, it's been a journey and we continue it, right? We got to bring spotlights, continue to do it, commit it every day, just like the football players every season for eight weeks to 10 weeks, to 12 weeks, especially in Great Iron West now. So we have the same passion, same drive, 
Same attitude for game day, right, Mark? That's why we, that's that's why we right. come hey. in every Tuesday, fired up. That's right. Four hundred. We, we approach 401 the same way we approach 400. And we're going to do it uh, going towards the big 500. Should come in soon, hopefully. But uh, we're, we're headed that way. So we're headed towards that yeah. trajectory. So um, we're in our west. Uh, Mark, let's start there. Uh, Broncos seems like the team to beat now. Early in the season, West Coast Wolverines seem like the team that they were going to be, and then they get into a reality check. Uh, Rockingham has gotten, what, two forfeits at this point. Uh, Hills actually forfeited this past weekend. So um, I don't know how durable or, you know, the time off, in other words, for them is going to be a factor at this point. But the Broncos for sure uh, look like a stronghold here, and they take care of Swing City uh, 34-0. to Yeah, the Broncos are looking very, very tough. I want to get back to the championship game, and it, it looks like they're ready to do that. Um, you know, shutting out uh, the the Swan City Titans this past week and, and putting up 34 points. It is a shame that um, the the Rockingham Vipers had to take their second forfeit of the season. Um, you know, it it's kind of harmful to their team because not only do they you know not get to play that game and get more experience on the field, but um, also because uh, forfeit victories are only awarded seven points in Gridiron West, which might, you know, it might damage their standing and tiebreakers down the stretch. And, um, you know, I think they're third in the standings right now uh, behind Perth and uh, the West Coast Wolverines. So when you start looking at, you know, the playoff picture and uh, things like, you know, the number of points you scored, if that happens to be a tiebreaker in this league, which I, I believe it is, um, you know, that's kind of a bummer when you have to take um, a forfeit against a team, you know, nothing against the Valkyries, um, but, you know, the Vipers probably would have put up more than, you know, a seven-point margin on, on the Valkyries. So um, it's kind of counting against them. But Yeah, that's a good are, point, Mark, because – you're, it's valid point for you because you're looking at a at the end of the you know three way tie or a three way race that could be a detriment you know for the Vipers because now the Vipers technically have to put up a lot more points in their next contest just to kind of equal that out in case that became a factor so um, that's a valid point. Um, Curtin Saints get the shout out against Claremont Jets thirty six to zero. I I don't no surprise there. I think uh, the Curtin is somewhat solid. They're not at the bottom of the totem pole. Uh, the Jets, obviously, a little struggling here as well, just like Hills and Swan City. So, uh, you know, shout-out to the Curtain Saints for putting up that nice stuff on defense. Yeah, I think they're, you know, definitely, um, you know, proving to be one of the stronger teams in the league. Um, as you said, you know, they're they're not on the bottom. They're in the middle there. They're, they're 500 with three wins and three losses. Um you know, their points for and against margin, are, um, it's pretty close. You know, they put up 116 points, which was the third most in the league um, for, for point scoring. Um, so um, they have, they have uh, some abilities, um, and they're putting them on display, uh, certainly against teams like Claremont and um, uh, who are um, 0-6 and um, just trying to get through their first season. And, uh, you know, that is what it is. But 
you know, it's, it's, it's great to um, still be able to, to just keep going, um, you know, without, you know, having to post a forfeit. I think they've, I think they forfeited their first game of the season. The Claremont Jets mm-hmm. did, um, but they've mm-hmm. managed to stay on the field since then. So, so that's awesome. Very happy about that. We're going to keep tabs on uh, week eight in terms of the Gridiron West. We'll uh, get all the lowdown right there at the hub at facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauty. So Perth Broncos, team to watch. West Coast Wolverines, team to, to keep a monitor on, right? And obviously the champs to see how they're going to uh, respond here in week eight after a layoff here for the from the forfeit. We'll see how the Vipers come out on, in terms of week eight. So we'll keep tabs on week eight there. Um, let's head over to uh, – Let's go to Italy now. Uh, the uh, CIFF uh, week two, week one was very interesting. Uh, Bologna goes down, but this week they rebound against the Archers, brand new team, of course, 22 to zero. So the underdogs do get a rebound win here uh, against the Archers. Uh, yeah, uh, it's a good bounce back win. Um, uh, you know, it, it's looking like the Milan. Sirens are are the team to beat. Um, in the other mm-hmm. game, not to jump ahead, you know, they put up a fifty burger against the Pirates. So um, I think an in, in opening uh, season loss by the underdogs to the Sirens, it was still a pretty close game, right? It was uh, just two scores. It was twenty eight to fourteen last week, uh, Milan over Bologna. Bologna rebound with a uh, with a shutout over the Archers, uh, put up twenty two points. Uh, so um, they're they're one and one now, and you know they're looking good. They look, they look like they're probably the second best team in the, in the league. Hey, shout out to the Archers, uh, Mark, for putting uh, uh, containing Bologna to twenty two. That was a pretty good defensive you know stance for them because uh, I think they could have been blown out even worse. Uh, Milan, obviously the team to beat. It is probably the best team right now in terms of the two week span, and uh, the Pirates. Uh, somewhat struggling, kind of. That's an issue that they're going to have to address. Yeah, you know, we'll see uh, in this coming week. Um, you know, uh, how the Pirates will do. They get they get the underdogs, um, so that will certainly be a test on both sides of the ball for them. Um, but definitely a good litmus test uh, for them to see where they stand. You know, this is a very short season. There's only four weeks before they play mm-hmm. the championship game, and they're going into week three. So um, if if the Pirates are going to, you know, have a statement game, now's the time to do it. And that's the, that's the interesting thing about this, uh, this uh, format in terms of the women's game in Italy is this is a, a must-win-every-week mentality, which I really think that's pretty intense. Right, because the pirates cannot afford to lose this coming week. That's literally the attitude. If you want to stay in the in the running, where a Milan is pretty much supplanted themselves as a guarantee. Even if they lose next week, they sort of have one more win, and they they pretty much guarantee themselves there. Where Bologna, uh, the underdogs, they are it's in critical state too because they got to get the next win because in order for them to even rebound to get to the final again and maybe defend their title. So it's a, a crucial week three in Italy. Absolutely. I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, it, it's must-win mentality every week. Um, 
the CFAS league is it's a sprint, right? It's not a long distance run at mm-hmm. all. So you got to hit the ground running. And, you know, if, if you, if you slip and fall, you can't, you can't stay down for too long. So um, coming in the, to this week, you know, uh, the underdogs of the pirates who are both uh, one and one they're you know, they're looking, you know, they're looking to, to, to just, uh, they, they can't drop one this week. They, they just yeah. can't. And the struggle for, for the pirates is they haven't been able to put up much offensive points where Bologna and Milan are just lighting it up. You know what I mean? So they, they got potential to light it up and that's a scary thought, you know? Yeah, they do. Um, but it, in, in the, um, in looking at some of the stats, you know, I mean, they're mostly run. They're, they're definitely, these are run first offenses, um, right. but there are big plays, big, big plays happen. Um, so, you know, there's this sort of feeling uh, that like anything can happen in any game, like a, a game, the tide of the game can turn it at any moment with a big play. So, um, so it certainly is a concern if the pirates cannot, score enough points to at least keep it close going into the fourth quarter here against the underdogs. Um, if they can keep it close, and then, then the archer they can break it. The opportunity is here for the archers to make a statement too. If they go up against the pirates who are not scoring as often as possible, the archer uh, archers have an opportunity here to maybe light it up one or three scores and maybe get that first win uh, of their inaugural season. So uh, it's kind of like a, a, a must look at game in terms of the Pirates and Archers to see who's going to pull up that win. But on the other side, we're going to see an interesting matchup between Milan and Bologna, the, the champs taking on, obviously, a, the team that's really up and revving right now. Yep. Uh, it was very intense. And um, we're looking forward to, to seeing how these games turn out. We'll get the recap from CISF. Uh, they usually do a really good job of doing a recap, so uh, we'll get the recap from them uh, hopefully up on the on their website within the maybe the couple of days after the, the weekend, hopefully before next Tuesday. So we'll give it a breakdown there as well. Uh, FX Mexico, to, let's go to Mexico and finish up there. FX Mexico week, uh, we're looking at uh, week six. The Panthers 36 to six against Hurricanes. Uh, the, the Demonios lose to the Tankers. Uh, the Bulldogs big 41 to seven win over the Sharks. So we're looking at the standings right now. Five and one for the Tankers. Uh, they're putting up a lot of points here, 163 to and tw- for 25. Uh, Bulldogs five and one as well, 186 to 88. Uh, so, and then uh, the Panthers five and one as well, 153 to 58. So a three-way kind of crash mode here. So week seven very very it's going to be very important. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, in the games this week, it was basically the top three teams just taking wins from the bottom three teams. But um, mm-hmm. it is uh, interesting to know that the Panthers have kind of slid down the rankings in the last uh, couple of weeks. They were on top two weeks ago, and uh, then they slid down one spot um, last week and uh, then slid down another s- slot this week um, to find themselves in third place. Uh, as opposed to, to third. Um, and um, while the Tankers, the Bulldogs, and the Panthers each have five wins and one loss, 
um, the point differential uh, heavily favors the tankers at 138 points in, uh, uh, plus differential. The Bulldogs and the Panthers are closer to each other, uh, 98 points for the Bulldogs and 95 points for the, Bull- for the Panthers. Um, but it is, it is interesting to note that the Panthers have kind of slid down the rankings. They haven't, you know, they haven't been throwing up, up as big points um, these last couple weeks uh, compared to the Bulldogs. So it, it makes for a very interesting playoff picture, however, however that goes. I don't know if it's the top four teams. I'm not exactly sure how they're going to run it. But um, I believe it's um, top four, correct. Um, so we're looking at the Sharks struggling at two and four. They might be able to kind of refocus. But overall, I really think it's between the Tankers and probably the Bulldogs at this point as we get down the stretch, down the stretch here. Interesting to see if week seven, when it comes up, we'll keep tabs on it. We'll also get the uh, results from there from FX Mexico as well. Um, we'll break it down as well. FX, FX Norte as well. We'll get some of the details there as well from FX, FX Mort, uh, Norte as well. Um, let's go to AFAS, which is in Sinaloa over in Mexico. Uh, week one, Valkyrias 12-7 over the Pretty Monsters, the Champs. Uh, the uh, Redskins twenty to zero against Diablos. Then we have um, then we have week two Halcones 46 to thirty two versus Valkyrias. Then we have Redskins uh, losing to the Pretty Monsters twenty four to thirteen in week two. Week three Pretty Monsters put up a sixty burger on Diablos, and then um, it was the Redskins falling to Halcones twenty seven to zero. So interesting. Uh, early three weeks in Sinaloa in Mexico in the American Football Association of Sinaloa. Um, so right now the favorites, obviously, it looks like this is going to be a, a kind of a back-and-forth battle between Valkyrias and Pretty Monsters so far. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's pretty interesting how uh, the Redskins opened with a win and then they just just lost to the pretty monsters and to the Halconis um, over the next couple weeks. And then the Valkyries um, last week. So um, it's pretty quick slide for them. Um, It's the Halconis who are currently undefeated now with three wins and Mm -hmm. zero losses. Uh, Pretty monsters and Valkyries uh, each with uh, two wins. Um, And, you know, all three of those teams have shown that they can uh, uh, put up points. The Halconis have high scoring of uh, 46 um, in one game. As you said before, the Pretty Monsters put up a 60-burger on um, on the Diablos. Um, the Valkyries have had a bit more a steady um, output of points. So uh, I don't know if it's owing to different styles. Um, but those, those are your, your three strongest teams here in, in the, um, AFAS. And we're going to look at week four, big class, Valkyrius, Halconis. We should get the results here, uh, from that, uh, Redskins, hopefully they rebound against Diablos. We'll see if the Diablos actually get their first win of the season, considering the Redskins have struggled in the last, uh, two weeks. They come, they come off the bye and see if the Redskins end up rebounding, or will this be the 
uh, you know, the Dobulus getting a re- uh, getting a nice rebound win after getting beat down 60 to 0. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's tough to be um you know, trying to um um, mm-hmm. not be the bottom of the heap, you know, but uh, that's what that game is. And yeah, maybe you're right. If, if Diablos can um, get their first win, um, well, this was the week that, that they'll be able to do it. And of course the Redskins, this is their week to get back on track and get back into the win column. Um, and with the other teams, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't have a schedule in front of me, um, but certainly one of them will be playing the other. And that's going to be a big game, no matter who it is. Yeah, Valkyrius will uh, taking on Hawkonis, so it should be a good matchup. Uh, should get the results. I messaged them out. They said they're they're going to go ahead and you know upload some stuff, and so we'll figure out once they upload it from both uh, both uh, sites. We'll go ahead and update it and get it up on the hub as well. Um, let's go to the Liga Elite Monterey, and that's the one we we're covering all season long. And we got the semifinals coming up here November 4th. Uh, the semifinals, uh, yeah, no, November 4th. December 4th, I meant. Wrote it down wrong. December 4th semifinals. Uh, Wolverines versus Quetzalas. Uh, Ravens versus Troyanas. November, uh, I mean, December 5th. Autenticas taking on Lobos. Rockers versus Leones. So uh, the winner, from my understanding, uh, semifinal A, uh, the semifinal A's will be taking on the Raiders who qualified for the for the berth. So the Ravens versus Troyanas will be the deciding uh, team uh, winners that will go up against the Raiders. Then uh, semifinal B is Wolverines versus Quetzales. And I believe that, if I'm correct, um, i got to get my notes. I, had, I think I have my notes on here. Let me double-check my notes. I think I tweeted it out. Did I tweet it out to you? I think I was. I, th- I think I sent it to you, didn't I? Let me double check. Um, were you looking for the matchup? Yeah, the 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 setup. Okay, here we go. Here's the setup. I found it. Right. Um, so Ravens versus Troyanas as semifinal A. They will face the Raiders for the for the A group. Then Wolverines right. versus Chimeras uh, and uh, Rockers versus Leones. Uh, the winners of those will be going to the uh, to the uh, semifinals B. So there, there'll be a semifinal B there. Then Wolfpack already uh, got a berth for C, and that'll be uh, Authenticas. The winner of Authenticas versus Lobos will go into semifinal C. So broken down in terms of the elite uh, Monterey League is, uh, it's like kind of like at the end of the season, everybody gets a shot, right? But the, the, the official championship is obviously semifinal A. And then you get a, a, lower, a lower winner in terms of B and C. So everybody gets some winner in terms of, uh, uh, you know, each scope. But the, the Raiders will face Ravens, Troyanas. That would be the ones we're looking at. Uh, and then the other games, obviously, it's going to be who's going to come out of that. But the, the big the big dog game is obviously between the Ravens and Troyanas. Yeah, that's the big game this, this week. Um, uh, as you said, the, the, uh, the winner will advance to essentially the league final against the Raiders. Um, the Ravens and the Trionas did meet, uh, meet up um, earlier in the season, like the second week, and it was mm-hmm. Trionis, um prevailing 25-7 to 7 over the Ravens. Now, that was a few weeks ago, so um, I'm not sure if we can um, 
you know, use that as any indication of, of how that game's going to turn out this week. Um, but that is there. Of course, the Ravens are sitting at number two. They're, so they are ranked higher for, um, um, you know, tiebreaker purposes. So I, I expect a good game there. It's really interesting how they um, they break up this league at the playoffs into sort of like these sort of basically three divisions, right? It's three divisions. And there are even yeah. two, yeah, and there are even two teams that, that get buys. Very interesting way to do it. I definitely understand it. You want to include everybody in the playoffs. You got you know have ten mm-hmm. teams, and um, um, so that's a really interesting way to do it. I really had to piece it together when I was looking at it. Um, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I did. Well, I had to, I had to message them uh, directly to our contact person because I was even confused last week because they had it up there where they said, okay, this is week, uh, I think it was week six, right? And then they go, this right. is a makeup of week two. And I'm like, right. what? I couldn't understand because I thought it was week seven already, right? So I had a message to them yeah. and they kind of clarified, okay, they had one game. Uh, week two was an issue, I guess, because of COVID and things that happened and they had to reschedule that week two game. So they redid the week two game into a, a, a technically week seven to finalize the right. season. <laughs> it was pretty confusing, but yep. um, it 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 all um, it's all there. Like there's no you know they did they did everything right what they could. So um, yeah, it's black um, and white now. The Raiders. <laughs> the only issue with the Raiders is that they're not scoring as much points as uh, the Ravens. I think the, the Raiders are putting up like 97, where the, Raider, the Ravens have, have put up almost 141. So that's an issue right yeah. there. Uh, against no, it's, it's, 25, so the defense is better for the Ravens than it is for the Raiders. Yes, it, it, this is very interesting about this league, you know, but it's the Raiders that are, who are undefeated, right? Um, yeah. Now, there are 10 teams in the league, and you know each team does not play nine games, so they've only they've only got basically five you know five games. So it's an unbalanced schedule, right? Yeah. And uh, so so we talk about this, you know, when we talk about the NFL, and certainly you know in college, it's it's impossible for all the teams to to play the same teams as as other people, um, mm-hmm. and as many times. So it's an unbalanced schedule, and in the end, you just kind of get what you get. Um, maybe that leads them to well. The, if you you're know, the Raiders, Mark, at this point, you got to be worried. You average 39, where if the Ravens win out, they average 116 points. So uh, kind of like have to be worried a little bit. Your five and zero record will be on the line, and it looks like the other side has more firepower. Yeah, that's right. You know, and you know, um, the the Raiders have not played the Ravens um, during the regular season, and I don't think they played the Troyanas either. So, nope. Um, you know, so if that's a the team Troyanas that did, didn't play and the Ravens. This is literally the final, <laughs> technically, <laughs> which right? kind of kind of, kind of yeah, a bummer, right? Thinking that. <laughs> right, it, it, it might be whoever wins this game yeah. might go and just blow out the Raiders. So yeah, you know we don't know. We'll see. I guess we'll see. That's what makes 
That's so this, what makes women's football the, so interesting. This could be the uh, the Liga Elite Monterey's act true championship, <laughs> considering uh, they're both pretty high-powered. You know, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time it happened, you know. It, it's it's happened in, you know, the WFA. Um, I'm sure it's happened in the IWFL. Um, oftentimes, mm-hmm. certainly United States, you know, uh, you know, one conference is just stronger than the other conference, and and sometimes the true championship is in the in the conference championship. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be too far out of step with um, um, what we've experienced in the United States uh, from time to time. Um, so eh, we'll see. Yeah, no, and, and uh, the cool thing about it is this is going to be somewhat of a dogfight. Um, it's going to be live from what I was told by, um, it's going to be live from what I was told from, um, our contact in Monterey. So they're going to have it. I think FIBA sports will have it live. So we'll, we'll actually get to see it. Uh, Ravens versus Troyanas, semifinal a, the, the battle there to go to the, to the final. And like I said, if you're the Raiders, you're sitting at home, you're going to be watching pretty much the epic battle uh, either one, Ravens or Toyanas, is going to be totally battle tested, and you're coming up against Absolutely. the teams. You know, those both teams are putting up. I mean, one forty-one, four and one twenty-three, only giving up twenty-five and twenty-nine. Uh, I mm-hmm. mean, if you're the Raiders right now, uh, I mean, let me just say it in Spanish. Si si si, I don't know the Raiders always tienes algo de de preocupación, right? It's a little bit of a worry because a little they, bit. they're going to come in fired up either one whoever wins whoever takes down or edges the other you'll be having a hard time swallowing that popcorn as they're watching the game because their mouth is dry (laughs) with like fear of what the future may hold oh yeah they're gonna have to get some paletas to cool them down (laughs) (laughs) maybe a couple of cervezas to the races uh, included, ice cold. Um, so yeah, so if you're the Raiders, I mean, you got something to worry about. If you're the coaching staff there, your, your team has literally struggled to put up a lot of points here, averaging 39. While the other two teams that are going to be uh, having a right to, to to face you are putting up 116 and 94. So that's got to tell you a lot. Defensively, somebody's got to wake up because you got to stop that type of a- attitude and uh, output. Um, the other side, Mark. Wolverines, Chimeras, that's taking on that. So let's see, Wolverines are three and two, Chimeras two and three. That's how we finish here. So yeah, somewhat equal teams, uh, 38 uh, for uh, Wolverines. So that means they're not scoring as much. Uh, they have a negative eight average. So if you're uh, Chimeras here, you're coming into this somewhat with an edge, it's 15. So it's, it's, I guess you want to say somewhat too horrible offensive teams here? Yeah, I mean, Camaris looks a little bit stronger on the offense um, with 65 points. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're, you're right. And looking at those numbers, you've got to feel like Camaris are, are looking, looking their, licking their chops to get in there and also to get revenge because they did play the regular season. They just played, and the Wolverines won 12 to nothing. So, you know, Maybe the Wolverines do have some kind of advantage there, mm-hmm. but you've got to feel like Chimeras must be pretty upset about that and are looking for some revenge. They might have a little bit of an extra 
uh, motivation heading into the semifinal here. Yeah, that's my point. I think this is, you know what I'm saying? It's like this is the win, uh, one of the losses you got. This is going for the playoffs. You get into the playoffs, you're going to get into the final, basically. And then you got Leonis, um, Rockers, Leonis. Uh, Rockers have had, have done somewhat uh, similar in that sense. Uh, the Rockers, obviously the better the better squad at three and two. Leonis two and three as well. Um, Rockers obviously averaging a lot better in terms of output, but not much better than Leonis. So another another scenario here between two teams that obviously one who's going to want it more basically. Yeah, uh, they did not play each other during the regular season, and you know. Uh, 3-2 versus 2-3, unbalanced schedule. And it could be kind of a toss-up. Um, you know, the um, the, the uh, points for and points against certainly favor uh, the the Rockers here. Um, but, um, you know, we always have as good a chance as, as anybody to advance to the final. So now in Group C, as we finish up here, Authenticas versus Lobos. Wolfpack get the bye, uh, so they're the they're the ones that are gonna they're gonna face in Group C. Uh, group C here. So it's a battle of two undefeated teams. How fitting that would be. <laughs> two undefeated, two two defeated teams. Perfect. No, I meant winless. Did I say undefeated? That's right. oh, sorry, winless. It's the flip side. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Somebody's going to get a win this weekend. So <laughs> somebody gets the cookie to go to the finals. <laughs> That's the cookie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So Liga Mar uh, made it yeah. interesting here. This this is an interesting game, Mark. <laughs> this is a consolation <laughs> for it the is. bottom three you know, teams. It's every <laughs> it's every bit as interesting as as uh, any other game. Um, you know, but you know, if if you let's just say, you know, let's look at the numbers with them too. This is such an interesting league the way things shake out. Let's say Authenticus win, just um, mm-hmm. and we're looking at their point differential. Their point differential is minus seventy six. All right, that mm-hmm. doesn't sound very good. But the Wolfpack, who they would presume would face in in that um, uh, Division C final. Their point differential is minus 96. So, <laughs> you know, I yeah, mean, they're, they're, this they're is ugly. here. These are going to be some ugly games. <laughs> That's what it means. It's going to be some ugly games. <laughs> yep. If you're the Wolfpack, I guess uh, Constellation. Interesting to see and see, Mark, if Authenticas and Lobos do get the win here and advance to the Wolfpack, and let's say Authenticas and Lobos do win in the finals. I mean, <laughs> wow. You, if right? you're the Wolfpack, wow. What a, what an ending to your season. The bottom two, yeah. you know, get to get the edge on you at the end of the season. Wow. Yeah, that would be rough. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. So, uh, Liga Elite Monterey, that's the playoff picture for us. So, um, keep tabs on it. We will get everything that's coming down um, the pipe here. So we will get it all squared out for you next week as well. Um, pretty interesting uh, in, in terms of the whole breakdown. But the, the semifinals are going to be very, very set. Uh, December 4th, Wolverines versus Chimeras. 
uh, Ravens versus Troyanas, which is the one we're going to keep an eye on. Uh, December 5th, Authenticus against the Lobos, and then the Rockers versus Leones. Uh, so we're also going to be interested in uh, three in the Italian scene, and we're going to be ta- talking week eight in Gridiron West as well, and also week five in Sinaloa over in Mexico. So a lot to talk about from uh, Australia to uh, Europe down to Mexico, Mark. So still uh, women's tackle football globally in effect. Yep, still a lot of football being played. Um, just want to say, you know, shout out to the Amsterdam Cats uh, for yep. uh, winning the Queens Bowl over the Rotterdam Ravens. 19-6. to six. They sealed it, I guess, with a pick six, which you can see yep. on the hub. It's really awesome. It was really awesome. And uh, we'll get to – you get the game right there uh, in Europe as well. So if you're in Europe, you go to the Queens Football League on Facebook. You get the link right there to the highlight full game as well. So uh, shout-out to the Cats. And uh, I said last week, I think, it was the opportunity was there for Amsterdam to show up, and they did show up. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, I in you know, the way I was looking at it, you know, the Amsterdam Cats had already defeated the Ravens once earlier in the season. The Ravens had to suffer, you know, the indignity of accepting two forfeits. So, you know, they didn't play as much. You know, they only got two wins on the field um, out of their, you know, four in the win column. So I just felt like the Cats would have the edge, and, and that's the way it, it um, seemed to term, turn out. All right, Mark, uh, thanks for coming in. Really appreciate it. We'll keep tabs on uh, Great Iron West, going to the Italy scene and Mexico, the whole scene in Mexico next week, as well as we update in terms of the playoffs in Liga Elita Monterey. So thanks again for coming in. We'll look forward to next Tuesday. All right, Oscar. See you next week. Have a great night, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, so we got the salty one to finish up the two-hour extravaganza that is the Gridiron Blitz. Uh, don't forget to go to Monkey Knife Fight. Sign up. NJF is your code. Get started. NFL, NBA, low down. $5 free play, three times your money. You can get pretty much $15 on us. So if you get it right, 15 bucks free from us. So check it out. Sign up now. NJF is your code. So uh Mackenzie, uh, welcome to the extravaganza, the 401. Oscar, how we doing? Gridiron Beauty Podcast. Happy Tuesday. We're almost to the end of the year. Let's talk some football, my guy. What's good? All right. So, Mackenzie, 200 downloads from the last episode on Apple alone. So, I'm looking, I'm giddy to find out what the metrics will be for Spotify and iHeart. But uh, thank you to everybody that you know, you, downloaded, listening to us, and subscribing. You know, you love to see that. You know, episode 400 was a milestone for us. You know, people that have been following the podcast since it very first started know what we're about. There's been many co-hosts, you know, all kinds of different people, players, interviews. Like, we're wholesome here. And that's what I love about our podcast alone. Because we're one of a kind. Like, you cannot beat us. Like, we are it. We are the premier podcast for all things football college nfl legends league lexapa international you name it we got it here on the grid iron blitz but if you're not on the hub you're not gonna know that i keep trying to tell people that but you don't listen you know but obviously y'all listening 200 plus downloads since episode 400 which was just a week ago oscar that's crazy 
Yeah, and that's that's a, just amazing. And I want to just thank everybody that has, you know, helped us out, basically, right? Because it's going to bump us up at some point down the metrics, and it's going to give us a real feedback for everybody uh, in that sense. So shout out to all our followers in Euro, in the Europe scene, in Australia, uh, everybody in Mexico and North America swing. Really, really appreciate it. So thank you, everybody, for subscribing. So don't forget to subscribe on all your favorite platforms. Check it out. 401, you go back. 20 episodes from the last 60 days. So get the lowdown and get to listen to the salty one and every episode as well. So check it out. Uh, subscribe on Apple, iHeart, or Spotify. All right. Mackenzie, um, Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers was playing on a bad toe behind a beatdown offensive line while facing an elite pass rush by Aaron Donald, Von Miller, and Leonard Floyd of the Rams. And it didn't matter. And I'm, I'm not a happy guy right now. Well, I'm going to tell you this. Any chance I get to laugh at the Green Bay Packers, I'll take it. You know, damn well. I don't like the Green Bay cheese balls in Wisconsin. However, you know me, I'm a player. I have to give credit where credit is due. With that being said, the fact that AR-12, okay, was able to pull out that W against Joe with a makeshift offensive line and a broken toe says volumes. Now, he's clearly – not Tom Brady. He's not the go. Every player is different. However, I do have to give respect where it's due. AR-12 did his thing. Aaron Jones even played, and he was supposed to be out with a knee injury. Okay. Um, Alan Lazard was kind of locked down for the mo- most of the game. I watched that game. Obviously, I was pulling for your Rams. Didn't quite go how we both expected it, but it's okay. That's the joys of playing football. That's the joys of be- you know, being an NFL if you're one of those types of players. Uh, being a fan, whether you're casual, avid, fantasy, whatever, you know, you love to see things like that happen. What you don't like to see, though, is bogus calls or missed calls, and there was a lot of them during that game. And anybody that's unbiased that actually knows the game, you know, as in-depth as we do, will tell you that exact same thing. Now, you know, if you got some of those calls back, there's no telling you guys would have won the game as, as far as the Rams, but I think it would have been a little bit closer. I don't know, Mac. It just seems like we're on a slide here. Uh, I'm just – and then uh, Stafford's playing semi-Lions, Detroit Lions mentality here, throwing pick six, three straight games in a row. So I'm a, I wouldn't say in a panic mode, but if we go down next week and the week after, this is going to be panic mode because it's not what we expect it to be. So I don't know. This is, this is a, kind of a worrisome state in that sense. Um, let's go. The Raiders – are 6-0 and this season when Derek Carr passes for at least 300 yards, and he's 0-5 when he doesn't. Man, that Dallas game? I don't know. Refs, I guess? Um, a little bit of the refs, a little bit of, like, poor execution from Dallas on a couple small plays. I will also state I'm very irritated at the fact that it took Dallas, or really Dak rather, um, almost a quarter and a half to wake the hell up. I mean, and I'll, I'll say this, you know, not having Amari Cooper definitely damaged us. Not having C.D. Lamb definitely damaged us. But the fact that, you know, you know Cedric Wilson – and Michael Gallup were able to step 
up when we needed them and Zeke and Tony Pollard. Like, everything was running on all cylinders for the most part, except having those two, you know, Amari Cooper was still on the COVID list and CeeDee Lamb was still in concussion protocol. Um, and I'm not saying that's, that was indicative of us going, you know, winning or losing, but it does, it, it, it plays a factor. And I can also tell that it's clear that we rely on the both of them too much, which needs to change. We need to win this game Thursday night against the Saints, and we're playing at the Saints home stadium. I don't see us losing. However, we gotta pick it up. I just like I'm very I'm very meticulous about my team. Like, I, we gotta pick it up. It's just the past. Even when we played Falcons and beat them, like I mean, we beat them handily. There were still things that, like, yo, we gotta we gotta we gotta tighten this up. We really have a shot at playoffs, and we really have a decent contending Super Bowl spot. But, you know, every team during the season goes through a slump, whether it's your Rams, my Cowboys, you know, um, a Holly Seahawks or 49ers, rather. You know, we just Seahawks. It's, every team during the NFL season goes through a slump, and Dallas is going through their slump right now. I think we can get over the slump if we, if we you know, effectively execute and, you know, show the Saints like, like okay, you know, we're seven and four. Y'all are five and five. Y'all should lose this game, type thing. We got We kind of got to go in our cocky, but we have to be humble about it. Now, what do you say about that division for you? You have uh, Philadelphia, who basically puts out almost 200 yards and still loses 13 to seven. You know, Jalen Hurts right there, basically serving up a, a trio of interceptions while missing on 17 of 31 throws. So there's a problem there if you're an Eagles fan. And if you're a Washington Redskins fan or Washington football team, excuse me, if you're a Washington football fan, you're five and six, three wins in a row. So, you know, they're looking at Dallas, I mean, at this point. One more win this week, they're going to be six and six. If, if the Dallas Cowboys, like you said, doesn't, don't get onto another win this week, uh, it's a close race now in the NFC, in the, uh, NFC East. Well, and, and I'm going to tell you this, Washington and really any team, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, so I'm speaking in terms of being a Dallas fan or if I were in a Dallas player spot, if I'm a Dallas Cowboy anything, I'm concerned that people in our division are catching up to us with the exception of the Giants. But, you know, the mm-hmm. Giants did their thing. They beat the Eagles. you got to give credit where credit is due. That's the thing. They handled their business. It was a tight game, close game. The Giants came out with a W. They're still at the bottom of the division. You still have the Eagles at two or three. Well, really, Washington and the Eagles are tied, and Dallas is at number one. If I'm Dallas, I'm lighting a fire under somebody's booty cheeks. If I'm Mike McCarthy, I'm checking on my, you know, my league receivers. Like, what's the deal? Are we getting them back this week? I'm also checking on Demarcus Lawrence tank because, you know, even though we haven't had him for a good three quarters of the season. I'm still making sure that he's available or getting ready to be available because teams are starting to catch on to the defensive patterns. When we put DeMarcus Lawrence back in there, because he hasn't been able to play all season, teams are not going to catch on to that. They're going to be like, they, you know, they've been playing for, for Micah Parsons. They've been playing for Chauncey Golston. They've been playing for Randy Gregory. They've been, you know, they've been playing for Ern and they've been playing, you know, they've been playing, planning for everybody that's played consistently. They're, they're planning for Trey on, you know, Trayvon Diggs. Okay, Javon Curse, thing you know, people of that yep. nature, but they're not they're, they're not focused on Demarcus Lawrence, who still to this point, even though he's been gone, is one of the leads on that Dallas defense. 
So I'm check if I'm Mike McCarthy, I'm checking on those all those components. I'm making sure Dak is good. I'm making sure Zeke and Tony Pollard know their assignments and know how to do them well. I'm basically making sure that my well oiled machine is still well oiled. Agreed. Um, meanwhile, Tennessee has kind of fallen off. They were red hot after beating the Rams, right? And all of a sudden, it's become obvious they got issues here, right? The absence of uh, Derrick Henry. They ran for 270 yards on Sunday, 165 more than New England, but didn't get anything out of a Tannehill or the defense. So the Titans effectively have a three-game lead on the Colts, but the Colts already swept them. So what do we say of the Tennessee here? I mean, they were on a ride, a high ride, and all of a sudden they, they've come back to earth quickly. It's kind of like the Dallas effect. You know, you get so used to running a certain player or running certain types of players, doing certain types of things, and when you lose that, that element or component of your high-powered offense, defense, special teams, whatever it is, it really shows. And that's exactly where Tennessee is at right now. Tennessee is still a good team. Everybody knows that Tennessee is not to be played with. But the, that main component as far as their high-powered offense is King Henry, Derrick Henry. You know, he's out for the rest of the season with that, you know, just coming off that foot, that foot surgery. And it's crazy because there's two other players in the league that literally damn near had the exact same foot surgery as him. DeMarcus Lawrence, Khalil Mack, and Derrick Henry all had foot surgery this season. DeMarcus Lawrence had his at the very beginning of the season, and we should get him back. Unfortunately, for Khalil Mack's team, you know, the Chicago Bears, and for the Tennessee Titans, uh, they don't get to finish the rest of the season with with their two star those those two star players on their respective team. So it's it's unfortunately it's kind of obvious that they rely on Derrick Henry so much. But that's where you know those other those other element players those other big name players need to step up for for the Titans, especially QB one Ryan Daniel. You need to find a way to get your team over the hump. Whether you start running the ball, whether you start talking to Mike Vrabel, like look we have you know. I, Where is Julio Jones? You, you guys, what every Titan fan should yeah, Exactly. Like, <laughs> Julio Jones, you, you guys literally got him off of waivers from <laughs> from the Atlanta Falcons, and y'all have not done much with him. Like, what kind of crazy crop is that? That's if I'm ridiculous. My baby, I'm sending him out on slots. I'm sending him to hell. I'm putting him in the running back with him. I'm putting his big old self in a fullback. Jesus I'm doing Christ. all kinds of crazy stuff to get over the hump, but they're not doing that, and that's what's concerning to me. It's crazy. Uh, okay, Cincinnati for real? Can we see Burrow and company have arrived? They sweep the Steelers in decisive fashion, forty-one to ten. So they've outscored the Steelers sixty-five to twenty this year. So I, I don't think anybody's been as excited since like what Chad Johnson when he was the, the big-time diva, right? But they got they got weapons now: Higgins, Chase. Right? They got Mixon. So can we get serious about Cincinnati right now? You know, I think we have to start taking them them Bengal Tigers over there in Cincinnati a little bit more seriously, especially because the way Joe Burrow has been able to come off of tearing his ACL and come back and almost snapping back to where he was at the beginning of his rookie season before he got hurt. It's crazy to think, you know, this time last year and it's even more wild to think that he's literally he's not even a full year out of post and he's playing 
and producing well, just just like he was Max, supposed to be. Max, should we put Mixon in the conversation of MVP? Because I've played Mixon on my fantasy side, on my Fanduel, and my and my DraftKings. This guy has put up production all year. So is it fair to say that you know we can start talking about maybe Joe Mixon as an MVP candidate? I think we can. I don't think he's very high up there just because they're basically building what they had last season. You know, Joey, Joey, Joe, Joey Bizzle was gone. You know, he got hurt. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you have your backup. Joe Mixon kind of had, you know, in and out year his rookie season or sophomore season rather. But now you kind of have to put him in that race. And to be honest, my, my rookie offensive player of the year is back to be Matt Jones. I'm sure nobody got to say to me, Matt Jones yeah. is about to get that 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 rook, that that Roy of the Year, that rookie offensive player. I'm of the with year, you. Period. I, I think and he's if, proven it. <laughs> he's proven it. It's disgusting. I'm just like, damn, like he just out here slicing them people's defense. Hell, he sliced up my defense, and my defense is one of the best defenses in the NFL. And he's a rookie. Like you don't, it's just not something you expect, but it's happening, and people need to realize, like. The talent these days that are coming out of the colleges is just crazy. Like you can't just expect a rookie player to you know to sit there on the bench for a couple seasons like they like like they used to. Matt Jones literally stole the spot from Cam Newton. <laughs> like what? All right, Mac. Uh, we got two minutes. Two minute drill here. Let's get it done before we get out of here. Uh, should we bury the Dolphins yet, or should we be worried about the Dolphins? Because after a one and seven start. The Dolphins have come up to really win four in a row here. And, and so, uh, you know, they're now, what, 16-7 and seven under Coach Brian Flores after the month of October. You got really good uh, Waddle playing good. Tua we talked about last week. So, uh, I mean, I think the Dolphins are in the AFC North conversation as third. If the, the Bills can, if end up slipping, uh, Miami could be in that race up north uh, with uh, Mac Jones and New England. You know, if I if I find looking at this unbiasedly across the board, AFC North division, I think you have to put Tua and the Dolphins in that situation as far as you mm-hmm. know being a threat to be messed with four straight in a row. Just like you said, off of a one and seven start, and then October they go four. They October November they go you know four for what is it four for seven four for six, oh, back back to back to back to damn near back to back to back to back. You know, and Tua, and it kind of looks like Tua is finally, you know, working through whatever injuries he had, whatever mental, you know, whatever tribulations he was going through. It seems like he's producing like he was when he came in. And that's what you like to see. You like to see the trials and tribulations of a player and see how they bounce back or see how quick they bounce back. Tua is one of those guys who has literally bounced back quick for the second time. You know, he got hurt in college, was out, didn't get a real pro day. Um, and still not drafted in the first round. Then you know goes to Miami, tears it up. So we gotta get out. Again. But we got thirty ten seconds, so we'll finish it up here. So Miami could be good, looking good for the next week as well on another five game winning streak. So uh, for the absent um, Nate Ward, for Holly Custis coming in here for uh, Mark Simone, plus obviously for the salty one here giving the breakdown. We'll catch you here for 4.02 next Tuesday, so come back in. Don't forget to subscribe. Have a great night, everybody.
Fight is the fastest growing daily fantasy sports site in America. You get fun, easy to play contests with cash prizes featuring your favorite players. Monkey Night Fight, daily fantasy sports for the rest of us. Sign up now and get an instant match on your first deposit up to $50.